1: Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Friday, the 20th of October. And I hope you have some big weekend plans, a little bit of fun, exciting stuff on the schedule, maybe a party or something, a Halloween party. We have a great show before that though. Timothy Schaefer is with us to get started. He is, or he's the founder of a company called SearchTires.com. It's an unbelievable story. After that, we're going to speak with Jay Upchurch from SAS on data and Donna Lynn Riley about joy. It's a big show. Let's get started with our first guest. Here we go. Please welcome Timothy Schaefer. He is the genius behind ti- SearchTires.com. SearchTires.com. It's an online tire store. Timothy, welcome. Genius, how are you? Great to be here, Jim. Really appreciate it. Do you accept the title of genius?
0: I. Uh... In some things, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What about World Master Lover? Do you accept that title? (laughs) I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I would like to think that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh All right. Tell us about searchtires.com. I mean, we've all bought tires and all of us go. It's the standard thing. We go to Costco or the guy we've bought from for 20 years. How'd the idea come from? What happened?
0: Well, honestly, I came up with this idea in 2009, um, and the, the, the premise behind the idea was I was an executive in the automotive industry, and, and I seen all these online retailers coming into the space, and I kept saying, wow, this is weird. They have a really good pitch, and they know how to market, and you know, most of the times, they're more expensive than us, but they're gaining market share. And this was back when they were like less than 1%, and nowadays, they've grown to 10 to 15%. But along with that, I also thought when people shop for tires, it's really difficult for them. I mean, they have to go to five shops if they really want to compare shops and, you know, go to five shops unless, like you said, you know the guy or you go to Costco or whatever it may be. However, we decided that the the step was and what I came up with is I wanted like to create something that what people went to our site, they could see all their local retailers in one spot and get the out-the-door prices, we get the drive out prices, amount of balance, tax, disposal, anything there is, we include that. And it's the basic installation. However, it gives you an idea that the tire just isn't a 100 bucks, and you think 400 It's, you know, we have the whole cart with it. We let you know what to expect so we can, you know, we can uh, set the expectation to be a little bit different than what it is initially has been set in the market. And the other thing, at the same time, we want to help brick-and-mortar retailers that that um they're in local communities they they employ local people they pay taxes they're involved in local you know little league teams and stuff like that and that really drove it home for me as i said you know i wanted to do that so that's uh created search tire the uh the beginning of it the inception and uh we've grown it since and now we got this iteration that is uh getting ready to go nationwide probably the end of october uh it is actually nationwide now we're still beta testing however that being said um we have a couple iterations coming out that's even going to improve it more but um that's what it is in a nutshell i mean it's just basically to help people uh they could do something in five minutes that might might have taken them you know hours to do before without driving around. And if you really are honest about it, most people, most people, not all, they just want to know how much, how long, and where are you located? That's what they want to know. (laughs) So if you could give that to them within five minutes and they can click the call, click for directions or click to the website to make an appointment, I'm thinking that we've helped people a great deal.
2: And so I love this. Who does the local fulfillment? You said local guys, Are they paying to be in the club? How do you vet them, and how do they get included?
0: Well, right now, everything is free. Uh, What we do is we, we have all your local retailers, not all, but the biggest part of your local retailers are already on the site. We put them on for free. They're on. It's basically what we're doing is we're driving the customer back to the local retailer. We... We revenue is not even in our thoughts right now. We want to build the best product that we can and give it to the customers, let them use it. And we've had yeah unbelievable success in the markets that we're in right now. You know that we're actually advertising again. Uh, the success has been unbelievable. And we look forward to to growing that uh, nationwide to all the major market areas. But like you said, like the question you asked specifically was, uh, is anyone paying to play? No one's paying to play. We're completely agnostic and to help the consumer make the best choice in the least amount of time as possible and drive them to their local local uh, retailers, and they're on our site right now. And we are currently adding more. I mean, it's a process. We start with the biggest and then we go down and you know, we keep adding more, but we're in the process of adding 13,000 more shops right now. And so how do you speak. make money then? Uh, well, right now, the uh, revenue is not at the top of the board. The product and the user experience is number one, because if you build the, the product great and the user experience great, the byproduct is gonna be, when you control that niche of those people? Then, you know, and help them decide where they want to go. The byproduct is going to be monetization in one way, shape or form. And and that's when we'll do that. But one thing we will never do is we will never be we will never stop being agnostic. We're one hundred percent agnostic, not owned or controlled by anybody.
2: All right. So how do you have the money to build the site and remain free right now? <laughs> where did that money come from?
0: <laughs> well, we're self funded. We do other uh digital marketing stuff, uh in our iterations of our other businesses that were pretty good at digital marketing. And, um, we've been able to, uh, you know, self fund our, our, our uh, search from there. And, and that's, and, you know, we've talked about this iteration, me and uh, my partner Lyle have talked about this iteration for a long time and uh, we really want to make it work. And, you know, part of it, you know, not in a big way. We're not like, you know, we just want to give back really. And, and, you know, and we build a, a big user base and help, create that great user experience. And then of course we're going to monetize it because that's what business does. But in the forefront of our minds right now is building the best product we can making it as sticky as we can and getting customers to the retail shops.
2: Well, I mean, if you can afford to do that, God speed to you. You're right. That's <laughs> by far the best way to do it. That's you know, definitely best practice. I would assume though, that since you built the site or someone really close that mm-hmm. the, the maintenance keeping the business alive is very, very low. Your overhead burn rate is low each month, right?
0: Um, y- yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, well, it's all relative, right? But it's, it's, uh, at this point it's low and our biggest spend will be, uh, will be our advertising spend to capture the market share. So we anticipate within the next three to six months, we'll have over, uh, a million users on our site a month. So, and, our goal is to within 12 months to get to 3 million users a month on our site. So, and we got the, uh, wherewithal to do it. We got the people put in place to do it. Uh, the team is awesome. And we have a, uh, a budget set up for it. And that's what we're driving for. That's our goals right now.
1: All right. I'm on the site playing right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So it displays the tires
2: by price. Not That's right. It goes stock. from the lowest.
0: Yeah, it goes to lowest to highest, depending on your year, make and model or the size you put in lowest, to highest, it shows the map. And then you can, uh, you can funnel down through retailer, uh, depending on how many retailers there are, or you can just look through the price and then you can, uh, on that click to call the phone numbers there uh but there is click for directions and click to the website that will click you through to the retailer's website
2: all right and then how do we deal with retailers that are not of the same price for one particular product
0: right well that's that's the beauty of it right that's what we're doing we're showing that if someone picks any brand name attire yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'll show, it shows you the prices at one retailer to the other. And that's, it goes from lowest to highest. So. Wow. So in a a way it's it's exposure. The the guy I've been (laughs) buying from ain't on here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, he 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 will be shortly. I'm sure. But you know, one of the things that people say is that we're kind of exposing margin, and that's not our intent. Is not to expose margin. Our t- intent is to get the consumers the best deal possible for the tires, especially in this day and age of prices going up and everything like that. And no one really tires is like an afterthought. However, the prices of them, the average set of tires right now is close to seven hundred dollars.
2: So, and how we, do you if handle if we, if we like could, the Buy three, get one free. How does that work?
0: So that's an iteration that we're building out right now. We're going to have a another page where you can click on to say, see specials, and then it'll show you the local specials at your retailers. So you'll be able to, to view them, like the buy three, get one, the buy two, get two, or the $70 off Michelin or whatever it may be. Uh, we're building out a page as we speak. I had a meeting this morning on it, and it's almost all put together, the design of it, and then we'll lay it out and uh, and have it available to customers as well.
2: All right. Brilliant. And how have you been spreading the word? How have you been getting the word out there? To get those, I mean, a million a month where you're at now is
0: pretty impressive. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah, well, we're not a million a month yet. That's our goal within three to six months to get to a million. We will oh, be there. Our, oh yeah, we will be there because uh, like I said, the the customer feedback, our our net promoter score right now is 94 the feedback has been really great. Um, you're never going to please everyone, but our goal is to to do our best at building that product. But um, we're doing PPC right now, um, and a lot of it pay-per-click. Uh, but it, funny enough, we've been in uh, the Orlando market for a while uh, running testing, and we have th- a 30% return rate already. So that's a good sign to us. Uh, average time, uh, the bounce rate is like... Uh, 15.6%, which is ungodly. <laughs> so, um, people are there and they're there and they, they usually click through every page. We have all the data stats that show that as well. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about it actually. And then, <laughs> so, where do you
2: get all of the data from?
0: Oh, we get all the data from the people that go on our site and click through, click all the different various areas. Um, We have all that data at our hands. Um, You know, the backside of our company is really we're a data company uh, as well because we're collecting all that information, you know, for analysis for ourselves to always improve the site and make it better.
2: Yeah, but all the tire prices. I mean, how do you keep the tire price up to date on this one particular shop?
0: Oh, so we update them every morning at four a.m. We uh, four a.m. Eastern time. Uh, They're already updated. Do they call you do you call each shop once a week Uh, no 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 no. we have a uh uh, we have a uh, proprietary system to gather all that data on the back end and push it through to our front end okay so we built that all out ourselves.
2: very interesting and you you're sort of like airbnb you're not really selling tires you know, you're no. pointing to people who do sell tires and eventually you'll figure out how you choose to monetize that Airbnb isn't really a hotel company, you know, so Correct. it's, uh, you, I, my first question when I saw your business was like, oh, how'd they solve the inventory problem? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, they, they just eliminated that problem. They stayed within the existing infrastructure
0: so you know interestingly enough i'll tell you something that uh, i talked to you know I, I know a lot of executives at companies and and some of them are my retailers and he called me and he goes holy moly i wish i would have thought of something like this because it it, it negates the cost of the inventory negates the cost of logistics and <laughs> negates the cost of everything else that I said. and i said hey um my deal is to is the user experience and make it easier on the customer because again I'll drive back to at com. we want to take care of that customer and we want to drive them to their local retailers to support their local communities. And if we can do that and we that's that's monetization to us right now is is getting that customer uh, the best deal that they possibly can on that tire that they want and get them to their local retailers. And instead of waiting a few days to get them shipped or anything, they can go down and get them put on today. I mean, that's what it's all about for us.
1: That's right. success. Mm-hmm.
2: Why? Uh, tell me about the name. Why did you not decide to go with, you know, the in vogue, one of the made up words, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> so Bob Lug- you know, Lug- you <laughs> right. company and you know funny enough uh um, i'm uh you know i'm originally from the midwest and i'm a pretty straightforward simple guy and i just say like i said uh, people want to know three things how much how long and where you at it's like just put the make the name what we do search tires <laughs> that's what we do so that's uh you know we had a few iterations of it coming along but that's uh that's what we landed on and it's uh I like it and it's simple and it explains what we do in the world. <laughs> so, and what
2: about, uh, growing in terms of venture capital and things like that? Do you think they will ever be in need or would you give up 10% of the company to get $5 million to spend on marketing? Uh, what are your thoughts about the growth that you find acceptable and growth you find unacceptable?
0: Correct. So, Very good question, by the way. So we do have a plan in place and a budget in place to do that and and to attain the goals we want to get to. And in talking to many people, uh, not correctly in the business, but in business that we do, we know what them thresholds look like. And when we get to them and then at some point we will be um, getting uh, we like to look at it as more like a strategic partner um, that has the same values and stuff that we have. And we will be willing to to. To, to do some things, but I can't stress enough how I can say this is that we're going to remain agnostic and not be, have any master, uh, to, to, to drive us any certain away from taking care of the customer and the local retailers in the communities and taking care of communities. There's nothing that's going to drive us away from that. I have to not own the company to do that. <laughs> so the only way that may have sold it and I have no intentions of doing that right now either. So,
2: well, right now you don't want to sell it because you haven't proved the monetary value of it yet. So right now it's worth you know it doesn't matter what the multiplier is because the revenue right. is zero and so it's right. worth you know four billion well, multipliers
0: still, you know. Well, funny enough though, that's that's kind of true kind of not though because users are monetization so however many users you have is uh you know a lot of companies come up like that and didn't really have revenue figured out in the front end but when they had all the users and they can if if i can if i can help guide the market in a 50.6 billion dollar industry uh and that many sales a year and monthly then you know that's value. That's valuation. It might not be revenue. It's valuation.
2: Yeah. Not so much as it used to be. You're different though, because the yeah. path to monetizing for you is like mindlessly more on simple. And so, right. uh, you could turn it on like overnight. You could just say, and we're adding a 4% service charge. Uh, boom. And there you're, you're done. That's it. Doesn't that would take 30 minutes of programming. You probably just go on, uh, you know, a shopping cart software, do that within an hour or 10 minutes, you know, so that's easy, but, uh, yeah, yeah. You're we, I agree. Yes. Users are valuable. Um, revenue
0: is more valuable. Revenue. Yes. And, and, and also controlling a niche is valuable. We've, we yes. know that from our other businesses. <laughs> if you can, if you can hap, be uh, the captain of that ship, that's a, that's a pretty good place to be in. And, and using it properly, I should say that also.
2: <laughs> yep. It's a great story, Tim. How do we find out more? Follow online. What's that URL? I can't remember it. searchdires.com Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Tim, uh, when you go public, and go ring the bell in New York. I don't want to be like, you know, on the podium up there with you at all. I I want to stand on the far outside as far away from you as possible. So I don't steal your glory. I just want to be there to watch. Will you promise right now to invite me that day? I will invite you. Okay. Again, I don't want to be close. I don't want to steal the glory. I want to be, you know, 25 people away from you. I just want to watch.
0: Well, I can, I can say this. Uh, one thing that I say a lot, um, I, I, I think I've came up with a very good idea, but ideas are ideas. And I couldn't have got anywhere near to where I've been without the collaboration within my team. My team is awesome. And I'm, I'm that kind of guy that's going to, you know, prop up all my people too, because no one person can do it on their own and, and I really believe in that method and collaboration. I've been told I've been wrong many times <laughs> and they were right. But you know, you have a goal you work with it, you you make it the best you can do and, and learn as you go and that's the most important thing for me.
2: Tim thanks for being with us. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. Thank you. With Jim. me right back. Bye bye. We are back and again, thank you so very much for being with us. Very excited to introduce my next guest. Please welcome Jay Upchurch to the show. He is the executive vice president and chief information officer at SAS At SAS. He is in the organization is about one thing, data and learning about your business through having better understanding of the data that they can provide. To that end, they just did a big study going out and talking with hundreds of small businesses. We will learn about that data today in the report that they've put together. It is known as the resiliency rules collectively. Jay, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing excellent, Jim. How are you?
2: I am well, why'd you go out and study, uh, change. What What's the best way to, what did you go out and study? Were you looking for resiliency or is that what popped out?
3: Yeah. So we were very curious as a company about what um, made companies rise up and outpace their competitors during the, in the face of change. So if you think about even going back to the pandemic, what, what was it that made companies kind of accelerate or thrive out of the pandemic versus those that really probably fought more for their survival? And this term of resiliency kept coming to our minds around, okay, that that is a key word that uh, was something we were chasing. So we we defined that as the ability for an organization to prepare for and respond to disruption and market changes by having a set of systems or structure or culture in place to adapt quickly. So we were fascinated by this concept. And then we really wanted to think about companies that, that were resilient. And so we went out and surveyed 2,400 senior executives across companies uh, around the globe and, and across a number of different industries. Uh, and, and that survey occurred at the end of last year and early into this year.
2: All right, interesting. And so, this resiliency is it market change that we would expect or the unknown change due to an earthquake or a natural disaster or both?
3: It's both. So any type of unforeseen change that comes at a company and then the measurement of that company's ability to react. And we did in-depth surveys as an interviews, as I said, with those senior leaders and, and the results were fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a couple out at you if that's okay. Dude, we're um, 81, 81, 81% of those surveyed um, said, absolutely, this concept of resiliency is attainable. It is real. Uh, and something they can go after. And in fact, ninety more than 90% of them said that they would rely on data and analytics as critical tools to achieve it, which obviously speaks to many of the things that SaaS works on each and every day. Another thing about resiliency that was interesting was 97% of those surveys said resiliency is incredibly important to their business. Yet only 47% said they are actually resilient. That's a massive gap between rhetoric reality that's what we call the resiliency gap and i was thinking
2: you know am i resilient as you were talking about this and then i the first thought that came to me jay is well is if i'm not it's not my fault because they didn't teach me this at MBA school right <laughs> do you take a class on resiliency you're lucky to get a leadership class much less a uh, anything dealing with resiliency how do we learn this how do we change that gap
3: yeah well, you you raise a, a very uh, interesting point. Those of us coming out of business school or MBA programs, right, we're focused so much on on results and so much on optimization and continuing to do things better, faster, cheaper. But sometimes we lose sight of resiliency. Just because you were able to do it faster than your competition today doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful tomorrow. So that that is really good point. When we did our survey a couple of things popped out. I think one, we found that they were really three categories of companies, either low, moderate, or highly resilient. You'll be curious to know that 20% of those surveyed were low, 54% were moderate, and only 26% considered themselves highly resilient. For those that were highly resilient, we did identify five principles, if you will, that that organizations needed to follow or adapt um to 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 be resilient, and you know, that, those those five are ultimately what we're calling our resiliency rules. Let me walk you through those five. A couple of them are self-explanatory. Number one, speed and agility. You know, you've just got to be able to pivot quickly in the face of change. So many companies go into analysis, paralysis mode, they just don't know what to do, or they kind of put their head down and sand and just keep going. So you've got to have speed and agility in your decision making process. Number two, you've got to innovate. You've got to continue to think for better ways to do your job, better ways to deliver your service, your products, and again, being able to adapt to changing conditions around you. Number three, you've got to do that in an equitable and, and responsible manner. We know that that builds up brand trust. That builds up trust between your employees and the companies, your customers and the company and the brand, and of course, the society and communities that we all serve. And then uh, number four you gotta have a strong data first mindset so we talk a lot about data culture and literacy you've gotta when a question comes up you gotta have a data first mindset you gotta let data drive that decision and you gotta be able to make that decision quickly again back to speed and agility and then last but not least curiosity and that is just an organization's desire consistent desire to continue to seek out new information explore new possibilities and ask questions about what might be coming next So when the days, the uncertainty of the tomorrow comes, you are prepared and ready to react. So those are our five resiliency rules. The interesting thing about the five is that, again, highly resilient companies demonstrate all five of these things. You're not going to be resilient just by leaning into one. You've got to have a right balance across all five.
2: And Jay, where does it reside in the company? Is this all the CEO making this a priority and forcing other people down further in the organization to talk about these things and to go to the CIO or the C let's see chief uh, data officer and talk about, you know, how are we moving forward? I mean, where does this come from, especially in a small organization as I, you know, 10 people organization, mm-hmm. do I have to take this on also as CEO? Cause I'm kind of busy already.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. And at the end of the day, I think it does start at the top. I think that the, the C suite has to appreciate and have a good understanding of the ROI of resiliency. And what I mean by that, you know, you can make investments in being resilient, as an example, creating time for your employees to go into offline mode and, and be curious and think about th- things differently. That may take away a little bit from the results that you're driving to every day. So the ROI on that may not necessarily be immediate cost savings, but the ROI is business value in terms of your ability to survive what may come tomorrow that might take other people, other businesses out of business. So I do think it starts in the C-suite. And then I think from there, valuing it and and then ensuring that your organization, regardless of your size again, values what it means to be resilient and makes that strong commitment to data and analytics and, of course, the, the ethical use of artificial intelligence, as an example,
1: company-wide.
2: As a general kind of rule of thumb, how much money should I spend on data as an organization? And, you know, If I'm a $2 million business and I commit, you know, Twenty thousand dollars to better software, and you know, maybe some time, and maybe some a part of an employee's day. Is that enough? Is there a ratio or a number that I should know and be able to point to, or is that hoping too much?
3: Well, I think it it varies by your industry, and I'll give you an example in manufacturing the use of data to, to, you know, stream information in real time, make decisions about quality, uh, turning on artificial intelligence like computer vision to determine defects in the production line. You can imagine that amount of streaming and a collection of data might be substantially more than, uh, you know, a, a different industry. Um, so it, it it does vary, but let me let me maybe tell, give you this statistic from the survey. At, when you look at highly resilient companies versus low resilient companies, high resilient companies were four times more likely to implement strong data tools, investments, and data literacy across their company. Four times more likely. That tells you those that are low in in resiliency. They're flying a little bit looser, right? They're a little bit more subjective and, hey, I feel like this one goes away. They're not going to have the confidence in the decisions they take because they don't have the data and the analytics in the hands of the executives at the right time to make the right
1: decision.
2: That's all about systems. Jay, I feel like I could learn a lot more from you, and thank you very much for this information. Unfortunately, we got to run. How do we find out more, actually see the report, uh, follow up, all that.
3: Absolutely, I would point uh, everyone to blogs. That's b l o g s. dot com. So blogs. dot com, and there you'll find links to the Resiliency Rules Survey, uh, all the results, as well as our Resiliency ass- Assessment Tool to give you a chance to go in and benchmark your organization against that Resiliency Index that I mentioned earlier. I'll also oh, I'll mention that fast. dot com. Cool. There are a number of yeah, absolutely. And then there are there are a number of other assets there on sass.com that might help you in your journey towards those resiliency rules. So data literacy, responsible and trustworthy AI, and other assets are available to you to explore. And of course, that's something we would love to help you with.
2: Jay Upchurch, thank you so very much for being with us. And thank you to SAS for putting this together. Thank you so much.
3: Bye, bye, bye. Thank you, Jim. I'm grateful for the time.
2: And we'll be right back. we are back and again thank you so very much for being with us very excited to introduce another great entrepreneur please welcome donna lynn riley she is a joy coach i love her story started off on broadway and hopefully we'll get time to ask her a little about that and she got a job i to support herself working at a furniture store Worked her way up gradually over the years to becoming the CEO of a multi million dollar corporation. And it's a brand that you've heard of, I imagine. It's an amazing story. She's been featured on Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, and has a podcast of her own called Finding Your Spark. She's also now on a mission to help inspire women to really have joy and emotional well-being as part of their life. Donna Lynn, welcome. How are you doing?
4: Thank you so much. I am well, thank you.
2: Do we need joy coaches? Are we really that unhappy?
4: Such an interesting question because uh, the whole idea that we have to be that unhappy is Really uh, an indicator of how our society views joy as frivolous, as not important. But when we are really plugged in, we're really happy, joyous, everything's flowing. Everybody knows that feeling. We've all had it at least a few times. When we're there, then business goes better, life goes better, and we get to be really present for everything that's going on.
2: I have had some of those moments. I find that I only realize that in retrospect. Does that mean I'm broken?
4: No, no, absolutely not. You want to talk to my
2: wife about that before you answer, Donalyn? Because she'll give you a different (laughs) answer.
4: So this is the best part about joy is that nobody else gets to judge it for you because you are the only one. Who knows if you're having it or not, right? It doesn't look a certain way there is because the thing is we can look perfect from the outside. There were, there were times in my life when I had everything from the outside, but there was still a sense every day of a lack of satisfaction or frustration, or there were things that I wanted that I felt like if I could just control a little bit more, I could get there, right? I could reach the goal. But when we change the goal to an internal goal, right? A way of feeling, then all those other things, suddenly people start doing the things we wanted them to do because, Ultimately, they're on the same path, right? They want to get there too, but we got to live, leave a little space for other people. And how we do it is to tend to our own emotional needs.
2: Okay, I don't understand that. How can me changing my goal change other people?
4: Okay, so have you ever gone into work no. and... <laughs> Have you ever had a project and had other people working on it with you, and thought, uh, "I want them to be doing X, Y, and Z," and it's and it's really hard. You're pushing that boulder uphill. Like you have to call them all the time. You have to check up on everything. You're thinking, "Why did I hire those people?" Because you know I'm constantly having to check after them and make sure they're doing it right. And then one day you go, "Forget it." I'm going to the mountains to go skiing. I'm going to the ocean to go swimming, whatever. And you come back in a totally different frame of mind where things feel like they're possible. You have hope that everything is good and you haven't been controlling it for 10 minutes, right?
1: And things go a little easier for you. Okay. You're asking if I've ever had that experience. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment like
2: that? Well, I've had several moments come to mind. I've had moments where I've gone away on vacation and expecting to have the office call every day and them not being interested in even talking to me and realizing, ah, oh, wow, things are going really well. That's awesome. I yeah. had that amazing moment. I've also had the reverse. I went, Donald, this is one of my favorite stories, Donald. I went to the same resort in Hawaii where Bill Gates got married to Melinda. And of course they're divorced now, but so we're going back 30 years. Uh, they got married at this incredible resort. I went there with my wife and my first kid. And when I checked out, I had my hotel bill and that was for the hotel and the babysitter that they provided and the, the, Food that we ate at the resort and the resort amenities. And then they said, And, sir, here is your telephone bill. And my telephone bill, so again, this is before cell phones and all that. That's 30 years ago. My telephone bill was bigger than the hotel bill.
4: Oh, my goodness.
2: And would it surprise that? you, Donna <laughs> Lynn, that that marriage ended up in divorce?
4: Oh, my goodness. Well, there was a lot in that story. Unpack for me, please. <laughs> well, did you have a good time on this uh, in your marriage before that moment?
2: <laughs> uh, that wasn't a abnormal situation. You know, that right. was a, a normal, you know, work was hard sometimes.
4: Right. Um, so. Right. And that's the thing that we're all struggling with, with is that sometimes relationships are hard and sometimes they are headed in a bad direction. Sometimes work is difficult and sometimes it is going in a direction we don't want it to go. So the question is, what mechanisms do you trigger within yourself to change that, right? Because we all, we all know that action changes what's happening in our life. No, no question, right? You get up, you go to work, you make different changes at work. Different things happen. But what motivates the action matters. So, where it comes from makes a difference in the outcome, meaning where it comes from emotionally, right?
1: So, if someone is not happy, what should they do?
4: So it's an interesting question that you ask, right? Because in the moment of being unhappy, in that like if it's a momentary unhappiness, I would say take a nap, right? Okay. No, so it's a long term thing.
2: They're unhappy in general.
4: That's right. Okay. So if you're in a in a situation where you really have been unsatisfied for a long time, then there's some work to be done that typically is much easier with a coach with someone who knows how to do it but the place that i would start is to really look inward and get honest with yourself about what you want and what you're willing to do to get there so there's a you you and i come from a time period when you just push through right <laughs> you just go like fine it'll be fine everybody just move forward <laughs> right and when you do that um you can, you can easily sort of push through walls, but you can't do it with your emotional state, right? So when you try to do that with depression or uh, frustration, long-term frustration, irritation, dissatisfaction, then you just end up with more of it. And so that question is always asked of us, what is it that you're willing to give up in order to get what you want, right? Right. But I want to challenge you to ask yourself, what is it that you're willing to give up in terms of the things that you're upset about, the things that you're angry about, the the trespasses that have been made against you? What kind of forgiveness are you willing to lean into? What kind of inner peace are you willing to lean into in order to go where you want to go emotionally?
1: Okay. Okay. And what if they don't play along? And so, right, my the idea was change
2: my behavior to change the other people. What if they don't?
4: Oh, it's no problem. You you can be as miserable as you want in this life, right? You're yes. the only one having this experience. So if you don't, if you don't want to, people are very comfortable sometimes in the dysfunction that they've created for themselves, and that's okay. If that's the life that you want to live, then nobody's saying you should be happy <laughs> or happier, right? But if you say to yourself, hey, this is uncomfortable. I have everything I want in life and I'm still not really happy about it. I've, I've achieved everything. I have the spouse. I have the job. I have the place to live that's gorgeous. And I still haven't found it within me that place that is really, truly happy, and you think to yourself, I want that, then it's worth doing this work.
1: And what are the practical steps along the way? So say someone's willing
2: to become happy and say that that's actually something they want to make a change. So what are the things that they should do to, you've already mentioned, get a coach. What are some of the, uh, the, uh, what can I do tomorrow?
4: There's a, there's a quick, a lot, there's a quick um, process that you can go through, right? Where you raise your awareness. So notice when you're not happy, notice when you're frustrated, notice what is going on in your life. You have to raise your awareness so that you notice it. Second piece of the puzzle is to detach from it and say, okay, I notice that I'm really angry with that person at this moment, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to act on it, right? I have enough awareness and detachment to make choices during that time. And then the third piece is alignment, and that really is the place where you get to choose. What am I going to be aligned with? What am I going to do? choose to create in this moment with this coworker with this spouse with this family member whoever it is that you're working with in your life okay so that's a really good tool to just be able to use in your everyday life
2: what is the key then to happiness the secret to happiness
4: the secret to happiness what is the key to happiness is is that use that process choose joy choose it right so this reason that i mentioned this process is that a lot of times we're in our lives and we're not able to choose we're it's not, we're not capable of choosing because we've created body systems that create the same emotions over and over and over again right we practiced being irritated with the commute to work we practiced being annoyed with the people that we're working with or with the outcomes of our jobs, right? And so when we've done that, we've trained our bodies into that. So you've got to do a little pattern interrupt, but once you do that pattern interrupt, then you can choose something really different. And that different can be joy, but it takes practice just the same way that you go to the movies and you practice being afraid or being full of adrenaline. Cause you're driving the car with the guy on the screen, right? It takes practice to create those chemical reactions in your body so that you can go back to feeling those emotions. There's a, there's a, a doctor, uh, who created a, a scale of reaction, uh, and, the, the scale of reaction is from alarm or alert all the way down to exhaustion. And what happens in the body is when something first happens, right? You smoke the first cigarette, your body coughs, your body goes like, oh, shouldn't have that. This is an alarm. But if you continue to do that over and over and over again, then eventually your body doesn't send up the signal because you didn't heed the signal, So there's no more signal for you and you just continue to do whatever damage you're doing to your body. And that is the same way that our emotions work. So if we're used to living in guilt, shame, frustration, irritation, wherever it is you set up camp, that's what you're used to. And you don't even know that there are other things you could be reaching for most of the time.
2: Well, that's very well said. And I love the smoking and the cigarette analogy and how you just heed the warning and your body stops. That's brilliant. I've never heard that one, Donalyn. That's a, you get a gold star for that.
4: (laughs) Thank you very much. I
2: I want to change the topic of conversation. Talk to me about the economics of being a coach and building a coaching business. How'd you get your first client? How do you spread the word? Uh, what are some of the tricks, tips, techniques that you learned through your coaching career?
4: Sure. Well, you know, I had the good fortune of having uh, previous careers to my coaching career. So for me, activating that network, right, really deciding what I wanted to to focus in on, and then reaching out to those people, doing the work to be able to actually reach out to them and say this is what i'm doing uh and activate that network then that helps a lot if you don't have a network yet a lot of coaches go through a coaching school and that's a good network for you or if you've been to college that's a great network for you but activate the people that you already know because the thing is That your first client, your 10th client, you probably already know someone who knows them.
1: Wow. I like that line. Where'd you get your first client as a coach?
4: Oh my gosh. It was a long while back. And I would say it probably, uh, yeah, actually it came right through a family member.
2: All right. So you were just telling them about.
4: Yeah. This is what I'm doing now. They said, I know someone who's working on that exact thing in themselves. They're, they're struggling with that right now. And I said, well, I could have a conversation. They said, Oh yes, I think that she would like that very much. And so we had a conversation, decided to do some work on it. And, uh, and that was my first client.
2: Are you uh, a coach for men as well? Or are you a better coach for women?
4: I am a coach for, for regardless of gender, to be honest, I really love working with men and I know there are a lot of coaches who are women and like to work with women, but I grew up in a world where you were often the only woman in the room with the men because that's who had the jobs, right? <laughs> and so uh, I'm very comfortable with men and, uh, and I do enjoy working with them as well as with women.
2: Is there any difference?
4: Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Your framework is completely different, right? What you have to work with is totally different in terms of your cultural experience. However, when it comes down to your individual experience, there's very little difference. We all want to be happy to some extent. We just think that getting a bigger car or getting a better job or having another child are what's going to make it happen.
2: Really, the so extra the- child does not produce more happiness?
4: <laughs> I'm going sure, to have talk <laughs> with My
2: wife really fast.
4: <laughs> have have you have you made it to the teenage years yet?
2: <laughs> Donna, I have children in three different decades, two different millennia. I have wow. children that range in age from uh 20 6 to babe not babies but young. Wow.
4: That's awesome. I'm I'm what
2: you call a moron.
4: <laughs> hey, as long as you're enjoying yourself, that's what no, I was
2: going to ask if I if what about if my joy is having the kids go away for the day or the month or the year. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing at me like I'm not serious.
4: Well, you and your wife are going to have to discuss that one. <laughs> uh,
2: yes. So what do you? What percent of people you think are happy?
4: Oh, Americans. you know, there's Americans. there's some research around this. There's some research around this, and and I always find research um, interesting because when it's self assessed, right? When we put out polls and we get information back, the information can vary drastically. So uh, I believe that it is about sixty eight percent of Americans say that they're happy, but also, 80% of Americans say that they wish they were happier. So, you know, we're doing okay. We're getting better at being happy,
1: but we're not done yet. That number is actually higher than I thought. Okay. Well, I'm surprised it wasn't.
4: I, I, I'll look it up again, but no, I'm pretty I'm sure I'm not 68. doubting
1: you. I'm just yeah, yeah. shocked
2: that America is that happy. Oh.
4: well, it's an interesting thing because when people self-assess, like if I said to you, Hey, are you happy in your life? Most people will say, yeah, yeah, I'm happy in my life. Yeah, it's good enough. I like it. Right. But if you said, Hey, could you have a better job that you liked more? Could you have a better relationship that you liked more? Uh, could you have a better body that you like more? Uh, that does better things for you, right. That doesn't, didn't break down in all these ways that bodies do after time. Um, that's where you really get into, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where you get into, well, actually I want more than what I really have
1: in terms of happiness. Right. But you know, it's just, it's a matter. Are you happy enough? I guess.
2: I don't know. What do so you so? say to people who will admit that they could be happier? What should they do then? Should they take a risk and be happier? Uh, you know, How do you know if it's worth the, the risk versus payoff and all of that?
4: Right, so this is, this is an important piece of the puzzle because if you say to yourself, I think I would be happier if I quit my job and started my own business, or I think I would be happier if I quit my own business and got a job, right? No matter what it is, if you're thinking I'm going to make a major change and that will make me happy, then you're on the wrong track. The internal work has to be done first. There has to be a... a, a um, a track in your body, right? There has to be a practice in your body that allows you to feel really good wherever you are in that moment and then make a decision.
2: Donald, and this how do you really- want us to find out more about you, follow you online, all that stuff?
4: super, uh, donalyn.blog is a great place to start and it has all of the links to all the social and free gifts and resilience uh, techniques and anything you could want. And you can reach out to me there.
2: Excellent. Fantastic. I know that you're out on the speaking circuit a little bit. What are your favorite topics to speak about? And uh, let's start right there. What's your favorite
4: topic? Oh, well, I love to talk about joy. <laughs> I so love to talk called? about joy. What's that joy topic it's, called?
2: I'm, is it called sorry? Joy with Donna Lynn?
1: What, I'm sorry. I, I missed your question. What's the topic
2: called? The actual name of that presentation is is, is just not joy. Or is it?
4: Uh, no, there. I have several actual talk topics, but they're. They are all around the topic of how joy changes your experience, how deliberate, unconditional joy can change the fabric of your life.
1: And, well, excellent. I'm I'm thinking
2: now about the people that I think back, you just said unconditional joy, who I would apply that to. And there are several people that I've met that I would apply that to. Certainly not me, though. Uh, That's a great term, unconditional joy. Uh, I wonder if those people are just morning drinkers.
4: That is the key, not the drinking, but the joy. That is the key, you know, is that if we can do it on our own, if we have control of our emotional state, not just from keeping it from going wild like you're riding a wild horse but actually getting to to choose every moment to be unconditional about where that emotional state is then your whole life is a really different experience
2: Donna Lynn great stuff check her out at DonnaLynn.blog and I appreciate you being here great information thank you so much thank you
1: We are out of time. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye now.